Thank you for joining us here on the Bowling Green Christian Church Podcast. Our mission is to love God, encourage our community, serve those in need, and share the good news of Jesus. You can find out more about how we do this on our website at BowlingGreenChristian.org. It is our prayer that the following message encourages you as you take your next step in faith. that all these things happened to us, but no time passed on earth. Did you go back in time to save us? Uh, I didn't have to because of Jeremy Barramy. Who's Jeremy Barramy? Okay. Things in the afterlife don't happen while things are happening here, because while time on earth moves in a straight line, one thing happens, then the next, then the next. Time in the afterlife moves in a Jeremy Barramy. What? In the afterlife, time doubles back and loops around and ends up looking something like Jeremy Barramy. This is the timeline in the afterlife. Happens to kind of look like the name Jeremy Barramy in cursive English, so that's what we call it. Sorry, I'm, my brain is melting. How can events happen before the ones that happened before? Just the way it works. It's, it's Jeremy Barramy. I don't know what to tell you. That's the easiest way to describe it. Okay, but, um, the dot over the eye. Okay, um, how do I explain this concisely? This is Tuesdays and also July. And sometimes it's never. That's true. Occasionally, that moment on the Barramy timeline is the time moment when nothing never occurs. So, you get it. I don't know about Jeremy Barramy. I'm not entirely sure that's, uh, can't find that one in the Bible. But um, I do know that in heaven we're going to have a long time, Jeremy Barramy or not. It's going to be a long time. And as we started the series and I put out there, what are your questions about heaven? That was the number one question. What are we going to do with all that time? Because to hear some worship people talk about it, present company excluded. Although, didn't Landon do a good job here? Wasn't that awesome? <laughs> Brian, we love you. We know you were working hard this week also, but uh, Landon killed it. Um, you know, to hear some people, I mean, I used to be as a kid, you know, you'd be in worship and people would say like, oh, this is what heaven's going to be like forever. You know, I, I like singing songs but I don't want to do that for eternity. That strikes me as not what I want to do. So what are we going to do? Is that it? Is that all we're going to do? Um, I want to give you the short answer. What will we do in heaven? The answer real succinctly is this. We will live in heaven the lives we were created to live. We will live life as it should be. That's, that's the short answer. We will live life in heaven as it should be here on earth, as we were created to live life here on earth. You go back to the Garden of Eden, and you see how humanity was created, and that gives us probably one of the best pictures of what life in heaven will be like. So you take that, you take some verses in the book of Revelation, and you put them together, and today I'm going to try to do a little bit of a survey through Scripture on thoughts from the Bible about what we will do with all of the time that we have in heaven, because we're going to have a lot of it. So, all right, let's start with this one. We will celebrate with God 
and enjoy His goodness. Heaven is first and foremost pictured throughout Scripture as a celebration, as a time of being together and just enjoying the moment. You know what I'm talking about. I I suspect you do. Well, I hope you do. Have you ever been in one of those moments? Put your hands up if you've ever been in one of those moments where time seemed to just stand still, and yet you looked at your watch and you realized that time had actually like passed, had flown by, and there was hours. Some of you have. Some of you haven't had much of a, of a great experience here. That's okay. Um, we know how this goes, right? You get stuck having a conversation with somebody, and it's so meaningful, it's so enthralling, and you go, oh my goodness, you know, this has been great, and you look at your watch, and you're like, holy smokes, you know, like two hours have gone by. Where, where did the time go? It just seemed to stand still in that moment. Heaven is going to be filled with those moments, but the beautiful thing is that in heaven, there will always be plenty of time. You won't look at your watch and go, man, two years just passed by. You know, it felt like one, you know. You won't have that moment. You won't be like, oh, i got to go someplace else. You'll have the time. That's the beautiful thing about heaven. That we'll be engaged in those moments, I think, that, that keep it, uh, you know, keep it feeling, you know, like no time is passing. And so when we talk about celebrating God, we're not talking about, you know, uh, some sort of lukewarm, warmed over church potluck kind of thing. You know, we're talking about a big celebration, the kind that you pay money to go to here on earth. Like if you've ever been to a concert and, and you've gone and, you know, the, the band was so good and you just had to kind of stand on your feet and you were just sort of overwhelmed and you looked at them, whether it was playing the guitar or singing, and you just thought to yourself, man, they make that look easy. And you're just sort of, you know, captured up in that moment and you're, and you're just sucked into it. And time just seems to pass as you watch somebody do what they're so very good at. I mean, some of you, maybe it's not a concert, but maybe it's like a sporting event. Maybe you like going to watch a basketball game or a football game, or maybe you go down and see uh, the Preds down in Nashville. I don't know what it is, but you watch these people play. And there's nothing quite like watching folks play basketball. I mean, because these guys are like seven foot tall, and, and you stand next to them, and you feel like, you know, like a, a dwarf, and, and here they are, and you just watch them play, and, you know, they can dunk, and you're kind of like, oh, you know, they make this look easy, and you get out there and you, you know, you, you tear your ACL or something. And, you know, it's just how it is. It's, you know, and you kind of go, man, that's hard. But for the moment, you're captured up and you look at them and you go, that is amazing. And you just marvel at their goodness, at their ability to play. Now, when it comes to God, I think that these pictures of the concert and the sporting events, that, that gives us just sort of a microscopic sliver of what it will be like to see God. Because seeing God, we will see all of His goodness. And it's not just goodness, it's perfection. And we will marvel at it, and we will wonder at it, and and it will take our breath away. It, It will be one of those moments, I think, that we are totally overwhelmed. Now, I know that that's hard to think about. You know, it's hard to think about looking at God and having it take our breath away. But, 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 but if you look at pictures in Scripture, you see that this is kind of what happens when people see God who He really is. Let me give you one example, Second Chronicles 7. It says, when Solomon finished praying, Solomon's praying right here for the dedication of the temple. This is going to be the Old Testament place where God is going to dwell, His presence is going to be there, His Spirit is going to fill this place, and that is going to be where God sort of lives for that time period. And so it says that Solomon finished praying. This is the dedication of the temple. This is sort of opening day, and here's what happens. It says, "...fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord 
filled the temple. So, I mean, this is dramatic, right? The fire's coming down and just consumes all this stuff up. And now what happens? It says that the glory fills the temple, and it says that the priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. And when all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good, His love endures forever. Now, I want to pause for a moment, because when we hear like this language of kneeling and worship, we sort of get um, what a Catholic deacon friend of mine calls, you know, the idea of uh, Catholic calisthenics or Catholic aerobics, where you kind of, you kneel, sit, stand, kneel, sit, stand, and you kind of got this motion where it's like it's prescribed. Oh, this is the time where we stand. We do it here, right? Oh, it's worship, we stand. It's communion, we sit. You know, we have this idea where like, this is where we stand, this is where we sit, maybe we kneel. Uh, But this is not that. This is more like the sporting event. Let's go back to the arena. You know, you've got 10 seconds left on the clock. It's tied. Your team scores, and victory is yours. What happens? The crowd goes wild, right? Everybody jumps to their feet, and they're like, yeah, this is amazing. There's nobody in the crowd going, this is the portion of our sporting event where we stand and clap. That doesn't have to happen. You don't have to do that. It just naturally occurs inside of you. You just jump up and you go, this is overwhelming. I think that's what's happening here. And as a matter of fact, as you look through Scripture, whether it's the transfiguration of Jesus or John seeing Jesus in the book of Revelation, what happens is people see God and they're just leveled. They're just leveled. They look at the the wonderfulness of God, the marvelousness, I made that word up, of God, and they see God and they're just leveled. And they go, this is overwhelming. They're overwhelmed by the presence of God. And so in heaven, you know, I I don't know if you feel comfortable with me saying this. I think it's a rush to look at God. I think it's a thrill. I think it's like an adrenaline just, you know, junkies dream to just look at God and just behold him and be overwhelmed by his presence. This is the picture we get of Scripture. That when we see God, we are overwhelmed. We're laid low with the magnificence of God. So we will enjoy God. We will celebrate with God. That's the beautiful thing. Not only are we going to celebrate God, but we will celebrate with Him. Heaven is also pictured as a feast, you know, as a banquet. Um, I like eating, and I like the idea of eating in heaven where we have perfect metabolisms. You know, right? This feels good. This feels good. How about this? Revelation 19 describes heaven as being a banquet where we have been invited, and God is there, and and He is throwing us this party. Uh, But there's another picture I love, and this is Isaiah. They're talking about the same banquet. Isaiah 25 says this, on this mountain, this is in heaven, uh, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. So I don't know what the best meal you've ever had in your life is. I mean, think about it for a second. Maybe get a picture, the best meal you've ever had in your life. God is now going to be the cook. That's what heaven is going to be like. God is going to have prepared a meal. He knows you're coming home. This is homecoming. And he is going to say, all right, you've been gone for so long. Now it's time to eat. And it says that God himself will prepare this meal. What's going to be there? It's, say it's, it's a banquet of aged wine. If your theology does not permit wine, you can have grape juice. There'll be you know, sparkling cider there. That, that's an option. Uh, the best of meats, 
but the, also the finest of wines. Again, if your theology doesn't permit it, you know, we, we could be having grape juice. But, but the picture is this, that it is going to be an amazing feast. It is going to be an amazing celebration. God is preparing it. He's holding nothing back. That's what heaven's going to be. We're going to enjoy God. We're going to celebrate with Him. We're going to celebrate His goodness. So that's one thing. Again, living life as it should be already right now. You know, in the Garden of Eden, what happened? It says that people were walking and talking with God. They were having this, this communion with Him, and they were constantly celebrating Him in His presence. We've lost that because of sin. In heaven, we recapture it. All right, the second thing, though, that we'll do, uh, this one maybe doesn't make your list of things you want to do in heaven, but we will work in heaven, and we will rule with Christ. Okay, now work is not a four-letter word. I mean, it is not a bad word. It is not something we shouldn't say. But yet work in our world is a source of frustration. It is a source of, of difficulty, but that's not the way work was created. If you go back to the garden, again, before sin entered the world, it says that God uh, created Adam, and he gave him, you know, muscles and bones and manual dexterity and a brain. Uh, why? So that way he could manipulate things. He could move things. He had strength to, to do stuff, to create. That was work. And in heaven, we will also work. But the work will be rewarding. It'll be like when you're working in the zone. Let me describe the zone real quick, because last service, I felt like people didn't understand the zone. The zone is where you're working, and it's fun. Like, you're working, and maybe, maybe fun's not the right word, but you're enjoying it. You're getting stuff done. You know, things are happening, and if you're creating, you're being creative. If you're a number person, you're like, you know, you're running that 10-key calculator, and smoke's coming off of the tape. I, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe you probably don't even use that anymore. You know, you, you're, you're in the zone. You're making it happen, and you get done, and you're like, holy cow, we've just gone through like four hours of work, and, and now, like, it, man, it just time flew by, and look at all that I got done. I got more done before noon than most people get done in a week, and you just feel that. You're in the zone. You know what I'm talking about, being in the zone? Okay. All right. Perfect. I'm so glad. Last time I, was, I thought maybe I was the only one that's ever been in the zone. I think in Genesis, though, work was always in the zone. You know, what is frustrating about work? It's when you work and you feel like you get nothing done. It's when, you know, you keep getting interrupted by things that don't matter. It's when you have to fill out the TPS report, you know, and you're not sure what the TPS report's for, and you're not sure who actually reads it, and you, all you know is it takes two hours to fill this dumb thing out, and, you know, it probably goes into somebody's shredder. That's frustrating. Nobody likes that. You know, in, in the garden, you know, the work was gardening, um, and it said that after the fall, you had to sweat to garden, I've never gardened and not sweated. Gardening is work because you got to weed, you got to the hoe, the digging, the all this stuff you got to do. You know, you're fighting a constant battle with the weeds or the deer or the rabbits or the blight or the I, you know I don't I'm making up terms now, but you're fighting all this stuff off. You get this picture that maybe in the garden you know, you would plant something, you would kind of dig a hole and you'd plant some seeds, you know, you'd plant tomatoes or something, whatever you want to plant, you know, you plant it here and then you tell the weeds, you're like, don't grow in here. And there was cooperation between people and nature at that time and the weeds were all like, because weeds can't talk, that's ridiculous, but they could nod and they're like, 
you know, that's not our zone. You know, you can grow over here, but this is tomato zone. And you had the sense that it all worked together. But after the fall, it said that nature started working against us and work became menial and difficult and tiresome. Randy Elkhorn has uh, some thoughts on this. I love his comments on work. He says this, he says, under the curse, that's where we live now, human culture has not been eliminated, but it has been severely hampered by sin, death, and decay. Before the fall, food was readily available with minimal labor. Time was available to pursue thoughtful aesthetic ideas, to work for the sheer pleasure of it, to please and glorify God by developing skills and abilities. And I suppose we should acknowledge right now that some of you might be in jobs that this does not describe you. You are working in a place where you just, you've got you to make some money. You've got to get a paycheck. You've got to be able to live, to eat. You know, you've you got to afford that. But when we were created, work was one of those things that was enjoyable. And so some of you, you might have a job that you hate, but you've got a hobby that you love. And boy, if you could make money at it, that's what you would do. And I think in heaven, we will be able to recapture the work that we were created for. Uh, Alcorn goes on, he says, Since the fall, generations, that's us, have lived and died after spending most of their productive years eking out an existence in the pursuit of food, shelter, and protection against theft and war. Mankind has been distracted and debilitated by sickness and sin. Friends, that's where we live now, and that's why work is so hard. But when we get to heaven, work will be rewarding, and you will work in direct proportion to the reward that you receive. That's the beauty of it. Now, what kind of work will we do? We don't know all of it, but we do know that one of the jobs we will have, and perhaps our primary task, will be to rule with Christ, to reign with Him. Jesus talks about this a little bit in Luke 19, a parable that He talks about of servants being us, who faithful servants are, are rewarded with cities that they rule over. Now, what that looks like and what all of that means exactly, we don't fully know. But we do know that Revelation talks about how we will reign with Him forever and ever. That is one of the truths that we see in Scripture. Paul will talk about it in 1 Corinthians. He says this, he says, Do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world... Are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? What Paul is reminding us of is that we have this amazing capacity to, to make good decisions, to think like God thinks, not you know, perfectly like God, but to, to think in that same line, in that same train of thought. We have the ability to discern. And in heaven, we will be given this capacity to rule and to govern whether that's over new, you know, things that have been created or this existing world, or, or maybe it's just managed the assets that God has, or, or maybe, you know, God didn't run out of creative juices and, and new planets and new things will be created. Maybe that's where we'll govern. We don't know what it is. We don't know what it looks like. But we know that there will be responsibility given to us and that it will be rewarding and fruitful and amazing. All right, so we will work and rule with Christ. Another thing we'll do in heaven, some of you are really looking forward to this one, we will rest. We'll rest. You know, we'll, we'll take it easy. Uh, Hebrews talks about entering into a Sabbath rest that God has prepared for His people and how we are called to enter into rest. But I think it's important for us to hold work and rest in balance. 
Because in heaven, I think that we will do both. We will rest from the weary tiresomeness of living in a sinful world. But at some point in time, we'll, we'll be rested up. You know, it's nice to have a Saturday off, but, you know, have you ever rested so much that somebody's like, well, why don't you just take it easy? You're like, no, I've, I've sat too long. I need to do something. I need, to, I need to go do something. Let's go do something. At some point in time, you reach that saturation, and you're like, gosh, I need to go do something. And heaven will have that balance. Work and rest. Work and rest. That's a beautiful thing that we will enjoy in heaven. You know, let's think about, again, some of the stuff we've already talked about, like eating. You know, uh, it seems like when we get to heaven, there's going to be a big party, and we're going to eat. But, you know, have you ever tried to eat after you've already had like a banquet and you're already full? Nothing tastes good at that point in time, right? So if we eat and we just sit down and like we play our harp and we sing songs, it's going to take a long time to work up an appetite. You know what I mean? Uh, have you ever worked really hard and you got real hungry and then like you had a bologna sandwich and you're pretty sure that was the best thing you ever ate in your entire life? What makes it taste so good? It, it's, it's that you worked up a hunger. You had, maybe you had a good day of work and you got hungry. You know, I think in heaven we will have this sense where we are able to deplete some of that energy and we'll be able to restore some of that energy because nothing tastes good when you're full. You know, likewise, like resting, you know, there's something really satisfying. At the end of the day, you know, you've worked hard, you've accomplished something you wanted to, whether it was at home, working around the house, or whether it was at work, and you put your head on the pillow, and you kind of take that deep breath, and you go, man, today was a good day, got a lot done, felt good to work today, and then you sleep, and nothing sleeps so good as the day after a good day's work. I think in heaven we'll have that kind of cycle. I think we will be able to sleep. I think we'll be able to eat. I think we'll get hungry. I think this makes a lot of sense here of Revelation. Revelation 22, 2 gives us a picture of heaven. It says, on each side of the river, this is the river of life, stands the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Now, there's a couple things here that we've got to think about. If if we're not going to get hungry, why do we need a new crop of fruit every month? The answer is we don't. You know, there will be access to food when we need it. There's another thing, and Randy Alcorn asked this question, and I'm not sure what I think. So you may decide you don't like this, and that's fine. I don't know if I like it either, but I'll just throw this out here for you to think about. He talks about how the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. Notice, notice that up there. Leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. What do we need perpetual healing for if we don't have the capacity to possibly get hurt? Now, I know some of you are going, well, we won't die in heaven. Yes, that's true. That's the promise. There will be no more death in heaven. But it doesn't say you won't skin your knee. And it doesn't say if you decide you're going to climb Mount Everest, you might not fall off and break your arm. That could be a real possibility. And it doesn't say that you couldn't if you're working on your heavenly hot rod. I, you know, I don't know if that's even a thing, but you know, you, you're turning a wrench and it slips and you scrape the skin off of your knuckles. It just, it just happens. You know, it happens. But the promise of heaven isn't that you won't ever get hurt or have an owie or a boo-boo, but it's that you could always go get healing if you need it. You could always go to the tree and you pick off a leaf and you're healed. There's access to that. Now, we live in a place and a time and a culture where we have direct access to that. If you got real sick right now, you could go over to the emergency room. That's an option. You go to urgent care. That's an option. You know, a lot of the world didn't have access to that. You got to just tough it out and hope you can get better. You know, we don't lack for food here. There's like a thousand choices, seriously, in Bowling Green today. If you're hungry, you could go make something happen. You, you could eat today. That's an option. 
For a lot of folks, that's not an option. And, and I think the thing that we've maybe not thought about heaven is that in heaven, we'll work, and we'll, you know, work up an appetite, and we'll want to eat, and we might even get hurt a little bit. But the beautiful thing about heaven is that we will always have direct access to healing and to food and to the life we need. That's the beautiful thing about heaven. I think it's got a lot more variety than perhaps we thought in the past. All right, uh, one more thing uh, that I want to talk about here today is this, is that in heaven, we will enjoy relationships with old and new friends. I want to talk a little bit about this. We won't have as much time to talk about this as I'd like. Um, Maybe we'll pick this up this week on our Facebook group. Um, But Jesus talks about how in heaven people will not be given in marriage, nor are they uh, in marriage. It's sort of like marriage as an institution no longer exists. Um, And so this causes a lot of consternation and concern among people. Now, here's what I know, is that whenever God takes something away, He replaces it with something better. You know, the law, that was good, it showed us what God expected, but then it got even better when he took that away and he replaced it with grace. You know, the temple was a place you had to go to be with God, and then it got really replaced with Jesus, and then if you think about it, the Holy Spirit, who says that God is always with us, inside of us, everywhere we go. Whatever God takes away, he replaces with something better. And so if God takes away the institution of marriage, as most people think, uh, then he's going to replace it with something better. What is that? I have no clue. But here's what I do know, is that as we talked last week about this principle of continuity, that what happens on earth matters in heaven, that some of the things we do on this earth have the capacity to last for eternity, that, that um, you know, the, the things we know, the people we know, that will have continuity into heaven, and so these things will last. I think what that lets me know is that while marriage may not be an institution, there will be nobody in heaven that knows me better than my wife, and there will be nobody that I'm closer to than her, and we will have a special relationship for eternity, and that's reality. Uh, Whether that's called marriage or something else, I don't know, but I know that that will continue. And so in heaven, we will enjoy the relationships we have. We'll also have the ability to make new friendships, We'll have eternity to meet new people and get to know them and make lifelong friends. And at some point in time, we'll say, you know, we're just kind of new friends. We've only known each other for like 10,000 years, and that'll seem like a short time. But we'll have the capacity to learn and to meet and to know each other and to have conversations, to learn things from each other. We won't all know everything when we get to heaven. Only God does. So we'll learn from each other. We'll learn about each other. That's going to be one of the beautiful things that will happen in heaven. Uh, Hebrews, we don't have time to look at this passage now, but Hebrews 13 talks about how in some way perhaps we've entertained angels in our own homes, that through acts of hospitality and care of strangers that perhaps we have entertained angels unaware, as the King James used to say. What a beautiful idea. So if we've welcomed angels into our homes, do you not think that perhaps they would like to welcome us into theirs and tell us stories about what life really was like, and that time that you left late, and how maybe you actually avoided a car accident was the result of divine intervention in your life. There's all sorts of things we might learn as we meet new friends and new celestial beings. What an incredible place it will be to enjoy new friendships while preserving and holding on to our old friendships. That's the way life should be. Heaven is the way that life should be right now. We'll celebrate God. We'll enjoy His goodness the way we were created to do right now. We will work with direct proportion to our labor the way that we were created to right now. We will enjoy rest in proportion, I think, to our work the way that life should be right now. 
we will enjoy relationships the way that we should enjoy relationships right now. That's the beautiful thing about heaven. It's going to be the way that life should be, except without sin. I, I want to sort of wrap up with this quote by Richard Rohr. He talks about sin. I, I know some of you will say, well, that's not a full theological definition of sin. Yeah, I got that part. Um, but I think that this really captures why our lives are so missing out right now because of sin. Here's what he says about it. He says, sins are fixations that prevent the energy of life, God's love, from flowing freely. They are self-erected blockades that cut us off from God and hence from our own authentic potential. Richard Worth says that sin is it's an obsession, it's a fixation, it's maybe an addiction that takes our natural good desires for something that is good and places it in an unhealthy way someplace else. And when that happens, it short-circuits the goodness of God from flowing into us, and it prevents us, it cuts us off from receiving that. So instead of having deep, life-giving relationships, people just have fixations on satisfying their own physical pleasure, and they reduce a relationship, a meaningful relationship, to something as sex. And, and it cuts them off, again, from experiencing what could be a fullness there. And in heaven, we won't have that. Our love will be perfected, and we will desire what is good, and we will experience life the way it should be. We'll enjoy work for what it is, and we won't just constantly be having to step on people and get someplace else so that we can get where we want to be. Our desire will be to work with love and to work with God and to bring glory to Him. That's, that's where we're going to be. These fixations will be gone. These blockades won't be there, and we will be allowed to live freely in the love of God. So here's my challenge to you this week. Jesus told us in his prayer, he said, the Lord's Prayer we talk about, he said, I want you to pray that God's kingdom would come and that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the reason I think Jesus told us to pray that prayer is because we have the capacity to live heavenly lives right now. Not perfectly, but at least in part. And we can start in that. And so as we sing this song of response, it would be my hope that you would take this moment and ask this question and think about this and maybe sing the song as a prayer, that this week you would say, God, would your kingdom come, would your will be done in my life as it is in heaven? And God, would you show me how to live in your love, to, to, to love you, to love the people around me, to work and to rest and to enjoy relationships, God, with your love flowing through me. And so right now we would catch a glimpse of what that heavenly life will be like. Again, we'll never experience it fully, but that doesn't mean we can't get glimpses of it now. Thanks for listening. When you're ready to take the next step on your faith journey, visit our website at BowlingGreenChristian.org and find more information about service times and other programming for both adults and children. Thank you again and have a blessed day.